It's been a pretty good week, right? We made through one round of really, really cold weather and uh, didn't have to cancel school, right? That was good. Everybody's happy about that. Uh, <laughs> no? Oh, all right. Maybe not everybody. The parents are all happy about that, though, I think. Um, so uh, just a couple of announcements. Um, just a reminder that there is youth group tonight for middle school and high school age at 7 p.m., and um, confirmation is coming soon. For those that are, uh, uh, that are interested in confirmation, you probably got a letter in the mail or something about, uh, about confirmation classes. If, uh, if you did not and your confirmation age or have a child or someone that's confirmation age that might be interested, have them get in touch with me, and uh, I'll get you the information about the confirmation classes coming up. Um, there is also the, the kids' ministry happening on Wednesday nights at uh, 6 p.m., right? I still want to go back to that old time from last year. 6 p.m. to 7 p.m. on Wednesday evenings. So, so join us for that as well. Um, as we get started this morning, I thought, uh, let's, uh, let's take a moment. Let's, uh, let's just uh, close our eyes. Let's have a moment to center ourselves and just uh, put all of our focus on God. Holy God, we pray that you just come and be in this place with us. Fill this entire place with your presence. Every row, every seat, every heart, fill with your presence this morning. Let us find you here, Lord. Let us feel your love. Let us be drawn towards your compassion. And let us be challenged by your mission, to bring others closer to you. Be with us in this place. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. Let's all stand and join our voices together. Now, we don't have a piano player this morning, so we're going to have to sing nice and loud, To God Be the Glory. To God be the glory, great things he hath done, so loved he the world that he gave us his Son, who yielded his life and atonement for sin, and opened the life gate that all may go in. Praise the Lord, praise the Lord. Who truly believes that moment 
please join me in an affirmation of faith from Psalm number 146. Praise the Lord with all that I am for as long as I live, even with my dying breath, I will sing praises to my God. The Lord our God is someone we can call upon to bring us hope in our time of need. For God is the one who made the heavens and the earth, the sea and the sky, and everything in them. The Lord our God keeps all his promises forever. He gives justice to the oppressed and food to the hungry. He frees those who are held captive and opens the eyes of the blind. The Lord lifts up those who are burdened, protects those who are living in a strange land, cares for those who are lonely and without family. And the Lord loves the godly who are faithful to him and who take part in his works of compassion. The Lord will reign forever. He is my God, and he is your God, now and forevermore. Praise the Lord. Please be seated.
Thank you. So Pastor Dan likes this little trick where he starts a sermon series and then asks me to just kind of go along with it. So that's okay. This morning uh, we're going to continue with Dan's series on the, on the parables, and uh, we've got one from Luke chapter 16 that uh, we're going to look at this morning. Um, this is Luke chapter 16, beginning in verse number 19. There was a certain rich man who clothed himself in purple and fine linen, and who feasted luxuriously every day. Now, in Jesus' time, purple linen was very rare, is very expensive, so only royalty, only those with a lot of wealth could afford to even own purple, let alone wear purple all the time. And then, of course, only those who were wealthy, could afford to eat luxuriously every single day. Only the finest foods, only the finest clothes. So Jesus gives us this image of someone who is very, very wealthy and very, uh, very able to, to afford all kinds of foods and, and clothing and, and the, kind of the lifestyle that this person lives. Verse 20, At his gate lay a certain poor man named Lazarus who was covered with sores. Lazarus longed to eat the crumbs that fell from the rich man's table Instead, dogs would come and lick his sores. The poor man died and was carried by angels to Abraham's side. The rich man also died and was buried. While being tormented in the place of the dead, he looked up and saw Abraham at a distance with Lazarus at his side. He shouted, Father Abraham, have mercy on me. Send Lazarus to dip the tip of his finger in water and cool my tongue because I'm suffering in this flame. But Abraham said, Child, remember that during your lifetime you received good things, whereas Lazarus received terrible things. Now Lazarus is being comforted, and you are in great pain. Moreover, a great crevice has been fixed between us and you. Those who wish to cross over from here to you cannot. Neither can anyone cross from there to us. The rich man said, Then I beg you, Father, send Lazarus to my father's home. I have five brothers. He needs to warn them so that they don't come to this place of agony. Abraham replied, They have Moses and the prophets. They have the Old Testament scriptures. They must listen to them. The rich man said, No, Father Abraham, but if someone from the dead goes to them, they will change their hearts and lives. Abraham said, if they don't listen to Moses and the prophets, neither will they be persuaded if someone rises from the dead. This is the word of our holy God. Amen. Jesus uh, often used, uh, used stories and parables and things to kind of, uh, a way of teaching about the kingdom of God, what the kingdom of God looks like, how we're supposed to be a part of this kingdom, right? He began uh, his ministry saying, repent for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Turn your life to God because the kingdom of heaven is here. It's here right now all around us. It's happening right now. And so in this parable, to kind of give this this understanding of what the kingdom of God is, what it looks like, how we are to be a part of it, he gives this parable, this story about, uh, about two men that are very contrasting, 
contradicting. There's this certain rich man, and there's a certain poor man. And, of course, the rich man is dressed in these fine purple clothes where the poor man actually has sores, almost kind of indicating in the story that maybe they are purple sores, right? Because they're opposites. One has fine clothes that are purple. One, his skin is purple from the sores that he's experiencing. One has the finest of foods and eats all that he wants every single day, has food to even just throw out. The other one is starving, craving any little bit of food he can get his hands on. One is safe and secure behind, behind his, his walls and behind his gate, has probably very little to fear. And the other one is outside the walls with the wild animals. Jesus gives this detail that, that he kind of throws this little detail in that maybe we might overlook that even the, the dogs were coming and licking his sores. And sometimes I've even heard people preach this that, oh, isn't it that nice that even the dogs... The dogs cared more than Abraham did. The dogs, you know, our little yiping pets that we have would come and care for this man more than Abraham did. But in that time, they didn't have dogs for pets. They didn't have little schnauzers and what are ours? Terriers and uh, Shih Tzu, right? Terrier Shih Tzu mix. We got these little dogs and they bark at the squirrels and they lay on your lap and they cuddle up next to you, you know, and they're nice little dogs. Well, that's not what they had back then. The dogs were wild animals. So when we read dogs, we probably ought to think more like coyotes. It's probably what we ought to think more like. So here's these coyotes coming up around him. One has got his home protecting him. He's safe, has nothing to fear. Here's another man that's got to fend off the wild animals just to get a piece of bread or whatever scraps fall from the guy's table. Oh, and by the way, the dogs, when they show up, because wild animals know when you're throwing out the scraps, right? We've all set out the trash cans, and somehow every raccoon and possum and wild cat in the neighborhood knows when the trash can goes out, right? The same back then. Here comes these wild animals coming to eat on what they're just throwing out away from the table. And not only does he have to fight off the wild animals to get the scraps, actually the wild animals realize, hmm, this guy looks better than the bread that we're being tossed. And they start licking him, maybe thinking he's a meal, actually. So here's the situation that we see. And Jesus uses this idea, this, uh, this understanding that the Jewish people had about what life after death is like. That when someone passes away, there's two places that you, that you could go to. One is within Abraham's care. One is this place where, where you're cared by Father Abraham. You're in this, this place, Abraham's bosom. You're in the place where, where things are well and you're comfortable and peaceful. There's, there's peace and joy there's this wonderful place you get to go to, or there's this other place that's not so peaceful, a place of torment and agony and pain. He uses this uh, traditional Jewish understanding of life after death to reveal a truth about humanity in the kingdom of God here today. Now, the point of this message is, is not to give us this glimpse of what's going to happen after we die. He, he goes there, and he uses that as an illustration and there's probably maybe some truth in the things that he says about what happens after life, after this life. But that's not the point of the story. The point of the story is to point us towards their life before they got there. That the kingdom of God is here already and now. And how is humanity supposed to be a part of the kingdom that is here and now? This is the point of the story. So for the first people hearing this 
hearing this parable, or maybe as the ones reading Luke's gospel, read this story, they had this understanding that, that those who are rich, they are greatly blessed by God. They must be this, this wonderful, righteous person for God to have blessed them so much, especially someone as wealthy as, as this man in the story, to wear purple and to eat the finest foods all the time. He must be someone that is really in God's favor, just a real righteous person living his life right with God. And on the other hand, this, this poor man that's starving to death and got this sores and sickness, what a horrible sinner he must be. What a person, what a wicked, sinful person he must be. To be suffering so bad, God must be punishing him for, for how bad he lives, has lived his life. He uses this illustration to kind of bring this awareness that maybe that's not quite the way it all works out. Because they believed that the wealthier you were, the more God was pleased with you. And the, and the more you struggled, the more you suffered, well, you must have done something wrong. But then Jesus does this shocking reverse of status. When they get to that place after this life, all of a sudden, it's the poor man that's in the comfort and care. He's the one that has found favor with God. And the rich man is the one that's in the torment and pain. It's complete opposite of the way that they expected it to be. This, is, this would have been a, an absolute shock to everyone who heard this parable, who read Luke's gospel, the early copies that would have been passed around and, and read. This would have been a complete shock to the people hearing this because that's just not the way it is. Well, they must be doing something right. Look at how he's living. I think we might still almost have an understanding of that sometimes. And he must be doing something wrong because look at the way he's living. Well, they must be favored by God. Look how blessed they are. Boy, they're just having a rough time. It just everything seems to go wrong. God must really be upset with them. You've probably heard people say things like that. Maybe we've even thought that from time to time. But Jesus reveals that, that one person's suffering does not mean that they are sinful, and another person's wealth does not mean that they are divinely blessed. And in this parable, he gives a, this poor man this name Lazarus. This name, it's the only parable where anybody actually has a name. And in this one, his name is Lazarus. And that name means God, God helps, is what that name means. So the man who suffered greatly during his lifetime is the one that God helps. It's kind of like the Psalm 46 that we read from as our affirmation of faith, that God gives justice to the oppressed, gives food to the hungry, frees the captives, gives sight to the blind, lifts up those who are burdened, protects those who are foreigners and refugees, helps the widows and the orphans. It's kind of like those psalms that we've read, kind of like stories from the Moses and the prophets about how God helps the hurting. God helps the lowly. God brings down the proud. He humbles the proud. And God raises up those who are suffering and weak and rejected and oppressed. So the point of this parable was not really to give us this glimpse of what heaven and hell is like. In this parable, Jesus actually is, is attacking this kind of wealth that is so blind to the poverty and suffering of other human beings around us. He attacks the culture that is built upon, upon status and social rank. He's completely tearing down their cultural system, that some people are better than others. And in fact, when they're you know, so low, you don't have to worry about them at all because there's a reason they're there. 
They're sinful, and God's punishing them, so don't even worry about those people. Jesus is attacking this system, and he's definitely attacking this idea that, that our wealth and poverty are strictly for our own use, and as people of God, that we have no responsibility to God or others in how we use our resources. This, this kind of idea that, well, I've worked hard for what I have. I've worked hard for all that I have built up, and, and I want to enjoy it for me and my family. I've worked hard to build these walls around our home so that we would be safe and protected. I've worked hard to wear these fine clothes and to, to eat the finest of foods. I've worked hard for, for this kingdom that I've built up. And somehow we get this idea that as people of God, maybe we still don't have any responsibility to God and how we are to use what we've built up. Jesus attacks this understanding and says, that is not the way it is. That is not the kingdom of God. That is not the way that we are to be human together. The way we were created to be humanity is human together. Part of what makes me human is you being human. Part of what makes me created in God's image is you being created in God's image. Part of me making me is what makes you you. We are human together. And part of that is that we care for each other. We love each other and provide for each other. And in all that I have, yes, I'm supposed to take and provide for my family. I'm supposed to make sure we have clothes, make sure we have shelter, make sure we have food. I'm supposed to make sure we have those necessities and needs of life. But at the same time, I'm supposed to see the person that does not and be willing to help them as well. Being financially stable and having nice things, that's not the sin in this story. The rich man in this parable, his sin is not that he's a rich man. His sin is that he does not see Lazarus, a human being starving to death, fighting off wild animals just to survive. Or maybe he does see Lazarus and he completely ignores him, which I think would be even worse. The sin is that, or it's not a sin to just have a blessed life with food and clothing and the necessities. The things that we need is having those things available to us. And even having an abundance of those things available to us is not a sin. It's the sin when we hoard those, when we keep those for ourselves, and we reject helping those who have nothing. This man had another human being laying right outside his gate, fighting for his life, and he did nothing about it. That's the sin. So Luke gives us this parable and challenges us to look beyond our lives and see the needs of humanity within this kingdom of God. Not the kingdom we build up, the kingdom God is bringing to this, to this earth, to this world around us. The kingdom Jesus says is now here. In our culture today, there's such a wide gap between those who are making it and those who are not. There's a wide gap between those who are getting by and getting by very well, and those who are on the verge of losing everything that they have or everything that they're capable of putting together at all. While there's this great need for necessities like, like food and clothing, there's always been this need for food and clothing, right? There's always been a great need to, to care for those who are impoverished and those who are hurting. But in our world today, necessities, the number of needs that we have keeps growing and growing. 
Like things that were luxuries when my mom and my grandparents were little are now necessities, right? Automobiles were a luxury back in the day. Today it's a necessity. You have to have an automobile to get around. Telephones were a luxury. And I hear people talking about the old party line that you'd get on there and you'd have to wait for the neighbor to get off the phone so you could use the phone, the luxury it was. And then, then they'd be teenage girls on the phone all day and the neighbors were all mad at them because they were, they were clogging up the party line, right? It was a luxury. Now it's a necessity. If you want a job and you go apply for a job, you have to have a phone so they can call you and say, you got the job. And then you've got to have a way to get to the job. Now, if you're blessed enough to have a job in the town you work in, and Cameron's small enough, then you could walk or ride a bike. When it's zero degrees outside, you could do that. It's kind of a necessity to have a vehicle. It's kind of a necessity these days to have a telephone. It's not a luxury anymore. And what about internet? It's a necessity now, isn't it? To apply for a job, they, they go and, can I have an application? Oh, yeah, just go online and fill out the application online. You've got to have internet to get a job so that you can afford internet. Right? And for our kids, it's an absolute necessity. Because if you're quarantined for five days and you don't have internet at home, when you get back to school, you're five days behind everybody else. That's a reality that we live in. The luxuries from yesterday are today's necessities in the world we live in. And that list of necessities is getting bigger and bigger. And the gap between those making it and those who are not is getting wider and wider and wider. Luke gives us this parable to open our eyes and see that there are people that are not making it. There are people that are, that are hurting. There are people who are poor. There are people that are starving. There are people that are going without the basic needs. And for many of them, it might just be, I don't have a way to get to a job. I don't have a phone to get the phone call telling me I got the job. It might be a lot of different necessities along the way that is holding them back, keeping them from getting to a place where they're just making it. Not a place of wealth and abundance, just trying to get to a place where they're making it. This gap and this chasm between the well-to-do and the barely hanging on seems like it's getting wider and wider. And in this parable, we see that in the gap, we see that in that chasm, in that, in that divide between the two, that's where the kingdom of God is revealed, in that gap. This is a theme throughout the whole Gospel of Luke. The entire Gospel of Luke is filled with this theme of preaching good news to the poor, feeding the hungry, right? In fact, in Luke chapter 4, you know, all the other Gospels, they start off with, with Jesus, and he goes and he gets baptized. Maybe he goes to the wilderness, and then, then he goes and does some ministry things, maybe a miracle, maybe it's uh, some healings, different things, but not Luke. Luke takes us to a synagogue in Jesus' hometown, and he stands up. This is at the beginning of his ministry. You probably remember this story. He's standing in the synagogue, and they give him a scroll from, the, from Isaiah, and he opens it up. And he says, the spirit of the Lord is upon me because he has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim freedom for the prisoners and recovery of sight for the blind to set the oppressed free. That sounds familiar, doesn't it? That was the psalm we read from Psalm, right? And that's in Isaiah. Actually, that's through the entire Bible as we look at it. 
caring for those who are rejected, those that are not making it. Because that's the way we are created. What makes me human is you being human. We are human together. We are to care for one another. So Jesus stands up at the very beginning of his ministry and he says, here it is. Give your lives to God. The kingdom of heaven is here, right? And he said, God has now anointed me to bring good news to the poor. God has now anointed me to feed the hungry, to heal the blind. God has appointed me to step into this gap and reveal that the kingdom of God is right here, meeting the needs of every human being that God has created, which is all of them. The kingdom of God is most often revealed when hurting meets healing. It's most often revealed when, when hunger is nourished, when, when loneliness meets friendship, when acceptance embraces those who are rejected. That's where the kingdom of God is revealed. That's where the kingdom of God is experienced. So Jesus tells this parable to break down the barriers of, of this first century uh, culture that's placing the wealthy so high up here and the, and the poor so low down here. And thank goodness he did, because it's not that way anymore, right? <laughs> well, Jesus warns that there will be those who still won't listen. He tells this parable, and, and in the parable, the rich man realizes something's not right. Now, he doesn't quite still figure it out because he says, have Lazarus be my servant and come give me some water. He still sees Lazarus as some lowly little person beneath him. So make Lazarus my servant and bring me some water. And Abraham says, that's not going to work out so well. Well, then have him go tell my family. Have him serve my family, right? So that they will have a change of heart and a change of life. He realizes there needs to be a change of heart and a change of life. But Jesus warns, there'll still be those that don't listen. There'll still be those that don't believe. There will still be those that are blinded by their wealth, that are blinded by their, their status, that are blinded by their stuff. That's mine. This is the kingdom I've built up. And it is mine to use however I want to use it. Jesus is trying to get everyone to understand, no, this is mine that God has blessed me with, and I am to use it how God desires me to use it. And if that is providing for my family, praise God. Or if that is giving some food to a starving person, praise God. In this parable, Jesus warns that those whose hearts are obsessed with having certain things or living a certain lifestyle, they just won't believe it. Even if someone rises from the dead, he says, there will be those who still do not believe and accept this truth. Even if someone rises from the dead, well, we believe, don't we, that someone has rose from the dead? We believe that Christ has risen. We believe that Jesus is alive and that the kingdom of God is here and now, right? 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 Thank you. That's, that's the right answer. 
We believe that. And if we do believe that, then we must believe that the kingdom of God can be revealed. It can be seen. It can be experienced. Because if we believe that, in some way, we have seen it or experienced it ourselves. And if we would stop and think, how have I experienced the kingdom of God in my own life? It would probably be through somebody's words of love in a time that we needed them. It would probably be through somebody's compassion when we needed someone to show us compassion. It would probably be through the kindness, the gentleness, the goodness of another human being that stepped into my human life and showed me what the kingdom of God is, love and compassion for all and everyone, because that's the way we are created to be human. That's probably how we've experienced it, because that's how we're created to experience God's love and beauty. So if we believe Christ is risen from the dead and Christ is alive and the kingdom of God is here and now, then we also have to believe that where hunger is, there's an opportunity to nourish. Where suffering is, there's an opportunity for healing. Where there is sorrow and grieving, where there is hatred and bias, where there is rejection and addictions and outcasts and beggars, there is the kingdom of God waiting to be revealed. Where there is hurting and suffering, there is compassion and love waiting for the church to open the gate and receive the human being that has been laid before us. The reality is, I can't do it alone, and you can't do it alone. So we have the church to do it together. And even as the church, we can't meet Realistically, we can't meet every need of every single person that is out there. But we can sure try. If we only have the eyes to see them and the heart to love them, we can sure try. And in doing that, we help the kingdom of God to be seen and experienced through the love and compassion of humans created in God's image, to humans created in God's image. This is what Jesus is teaching through this parable. Let us hear and receive these words and go and do as we are directed. In Christ's name, amen. Um, let's all stand. Um, where are we at? <laughs> let's all stand and let's join our voices together. And have thine own way, Lord.
Holy God, have your own way, Lord, with our lives, with all that we have. Lord, we praise you, we thank you for filling our needs, giving us what we need for our families, for our homes. And we thank you, Lord, that where we have abundance, we are able to share with those who do not have. Give us the eyes to see and the heart to love. Fill us with your spirit that we may go and do your work in the, work, in the world around us and be your people, be your church, stepping into the gap, revealing your kingdom. In Christ's name, amen. Go now in the name of the Father, Son, Holy Spirit, led by the Holy Spirit, to be Christ to the world around you. Amen. May you run and not be weary. May your heart be filled with song. And may the love of God continue to give you hope and keep you strong. And may you run and not be weary. May your life be filled